From the studio high above the clouds of the Okanagan Valley, this is the Cannabis Podcast. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. Now, here's your host and bud tender, Gary Johnston. And let me say welcome back. Thanks for coming back to the Cannabis Podcast, episode 110. If this is your first visit, well, an especially warm welcome for you. We're going to fill your head with information about cannabis for the next 30 or 40 minutes or so. Now, let me remind you, this program is intended only for those 19 or older in your jurisdiction and is intended purely for entertainment purposes. You should always consume your cannabis responsibly. In this episode, well, pardon me while I indulge in my lozenge, my 10 milligrams of THC lozenge in a package that has 25 of them. We seem to have broken the barrier of 10 milligrams per package by classifying things slightly different. But I digress a little bit. We'll speak about that a little bit later. In our feature interview today, we're going to meet Dan Sutton, CEO of Tantalus Labs in BC and also the founder of Stand for Craft. And we're going to talk about the problems facing craft cannabis with the current excise tax formula. Also, we are talking about the fact that Delivery for cannabis across the country has been available for a while, but there's a new turn to that. We'll talk about that. And what do you think is better for your brain, edibles or smoking? We have a story on that. Plus, on Cultivar Corner, we're going back down to the coast in the Delta area where Simply Bear Organics grows, and we are touching on their unique strain BC Organic Duct Tape. That's coming up on Cultivar Corner, plus a lot more all on episode 110 of the Cannabis Podcast. And before we get too deep, let me take care of some housekeeping. First of all, thanks, Kevin, William, Jordana, and Rob for your support. Appreciate it every single month. Hey, did some upgrades in the studio, a new PC that we're working on, and this episode is the first produced in this new world. I'm liking it so far. It's a heck of a lot faster than what I was dealing with before. Thanks as well to you for being a listener. I am so stoked to have you along for the ride, so welcome. Let me give you a bit more on the lozenges I referenced in the introduction. For so long, anybody who was looking for edibles in the legal cannabis market or world in any store would be told that the maximum amount of THC that could be in any package was 10 milligrams. That's still, in fact, the case for edibles or gummies. But if you call your product a lozenge, or as in the case of another product that we just got in called Glitches, pretty much like a gummy, but they're, they're calling it an extract, and you can put a lot more TAT in it. So this package, now this is an Indiva Life, they're wild cherry THC lozenges, 10 milligrams per lozenge, there was 25 in here, so the package, 250 milligrams of THC. Now, <laughs> if you are have listened at all to the podcast, any previous episodes, you might be aware that edibles don't usually do much for me. So it's going to be a bit of an experiment. I, I have had one ex- experience where I thought maybe I, it gave me a bit of a buzz that I wasn't expecting. But so far, I've just been kind of chewing them or <laughs> sucking on them because they're candies. So, so we'll keep you apprised of that as the industry continues to develop. Now let's get to our first story. And for that, we're going back to my buddy David Wiley's site, OkanaganZ.com. And this is a story which was special to the OZ, and the author of it is Brad Poulos. Before 2018, cannabis was illegal in Canada, but now, as of mid-October, Uber Eats can deliver it in Toronto as a result of a partnership with Leafly, an online marketplace for licensed cannabis retailers. This is the first time Uber will deliver cannabis anywhere in the world. This deal is being touted by Uber and Leafly as a great leap forward for the industry. The companies claim the arrangement will provide several benefits, including more business for the retailers, increased choice and flexibility for consumers while reducing the illicit market, and cutting down on impaired driving. However, these arguments hold little water. Consumers are able to use the Uber Eats platform to order cannabis products from many of three Toronto-based retailers, Hidden Leaf Cannabis, Minerva Cannabis, and Shiva's Rose, 
provided they are within the retailer's delivery footprint. The ordering experience is similar to ordering food delivery on the app. Customers navigate to the recreational cannabis category, then to their chosen retailer's menu where they select their desired products, then state whether they will pick up the order or prefer delivery. Uber then transmits the order to the applicable store, and once filled, the order is delivered to the customer by the retailer's own delivery staff, as prescribed by law. Ontario's provincial cannabis regulations were only recently modified to permit delivery, although they do not permit third-party delivery. The retailer's drivers must be employees of the retailer and are required to verify identity and age at the time of delivery. From the consumer's perspective, the deal will merely provide another online location to order cannabis for delivery on top of the Ontario Cannabis Store and other private retailers. All three of the initial stores currently offer online ordering for either in-store pickups or free same-day delivery to a designated area within the Greater Toronto Area. Consumers can also order these same products from the Ontario Cannabis Store run by the Ontario Government, where they can opt for same-day delivery within Toronto for a fee of $8. Any gain on the part of consumers is minimal. Since the majority of cannabis retailers are privates, we don't have any visibility into their profitability. We can, however, gain some insight into it using the Quebec-owned Le Société Québécois du Cannabis as a case study. It represents the upper boundary of profitability since they have the highest sales per store in Canada on average and a relatively modest 90-store footprint compared to the 1,680 currently authorized in Ontario. Le Société Québécois du Cannabis is, by any measure, a healthy cannabis retailer. In their most recent quarterly report, they reported a net income of $20.5 million on sales of $139 million, which translates to a net profit margin of just under 15%. Arguments claiming the partnership will help reduce cannabis-impaired driving and the size of the illicit market are simply not defensible. While driving while high is a serious and increasingly prevalent issue, the existence of another cannabis delivery service will not affect the current statistics. There are already plenty of delivery options for people who would rather stay on the right side of the law and avoid driving to the nearest store. Similarly, consumers who are interested in purchasing legal weed, not black market weed, already have the means to do so. There's no reason why an Uber Eats-specific delivery service will have more of an impact than current delivery services do. It also remains to be seen if people want to use Uber to buy their weed in the first place, considering the options already available. It's clear that retailers and consumers will not be the winners in this new partnership. That honor goes to the middlemen, Uber and Leafly. At the moment, that seems to be the state of the Canadian cannabis industry. Businesses booming for provincial wholesalers, while private retailers and cannabis producers are left in the lurch. And my thanks to author Brad Poulos, a lecturer and ambassador to the Cannabis Education, Entrepreneurship and Strategy Department at Toronto Metropolitan University. What are your thoughts on adding Uber Eats to the delivery mechanisms? I kind of agree with Brad. I don't think it's going to be a big deal that really impacts consumers and certainly not the stores. From the cannabis-infused studio in the clouds, this is the Cannabis Podcast. Ever since I started doing this podcast, which is almost four years ago now, next episode, in fact, will be the last episode of year number four. Every time, well, not every time, <laughs> many of the stories that I have read have quoted an individual from BC. Dan Sutton is his name. He's the CEO of Tantalus Labs. And he has been very vocal in his support of the Canadian cannabis industry since he participates in it. And also very vocal about what he sees as some of the problems. Well, I became recently aware of a new group that Dan Sutton founded called Stand for Craft. And its purpose is to make it actually possible for craft cannabis growers in Canada to succeed. StanforCraft.com is the link that I have included in the show notes. You can go there, show your support for the organization and what they're trying to do, which is bring significant change to the structure of Canadian cannabis trades, more specifically the excise tax. Now, I had the pleasure of meeting Dan Sutton last week, and we pick up our conversation after I welcome Dan to the Cannabis Podcast. I wanted to start with a bit of your background. Give me a sense of, of how you became interested in cannabis, Dan. Absolutely. Well, cannabis has been a part of my life since I was a teenager. I don't mind admitting. Uh, I'm born and raised in Vancouver, BC, which might be one of the global capital epicenters of cannabis culture. Uh, proud son of Vancouver. My parents came here in the 70s and they never looked back. 
And so it was around and it was of high quality and it was sort of brought into my life through people who wanted to make sure that I used it respectfully and used it safely. And I always had quite a liberal and productive relationship with it. Um, through school, uh, I went to University of Victoria, which is also a bit of a cannabis hotspot. I'm sure your listeners are aware. I studied economics and finance and then graduated into working in the finance industry, which cannabis sort of fell out of my life for the most part. Worked in that business for about seven years, doing things like helping great entrepreneurs get fundraising, uh, list public companies, had some great successes and some learning experiences. And cannabis became a part of my life professionally in 2012 when I noticed a change in the Canadian Gazette notifying, um, I suppose, anyone who was interested that Canada's medical cannabis system would be transitioning towards a model of larger more centralized, high security production facilities that also would have the world's first standardized quality assurance level, uh, mandating that the medical cannabis that was produced for then Canada's medical cannabis program would be absent pesticides, absent mold and mildews, and of exceptional high purity. So I'm very lucky to have some greenhouse operators in my family, including my uncle, and I started to chat with him about this project and he said, wow, this is going to be a pretty wild opportunity. You know, it looks like Canada's at least legalizing cannabis medically. Little did we know that just a few years later, we would announce that we were going to be legalizing it recreationally. Uh, and in that time, I was really blessed to build a team of scientists, engineers, designers, some cannabis people, some greenhouse people, and truly a sophisticated band of operators who came together um, to build our custom-built facility at Tantalus Labs, the company that I founded. We call it Sun Lab. It exists today in Maple Ridge, British Columbia. It employs 80 people, and we cultivate about 3,000 kilograms a year there, which we sell across Canada into the recreational market. Yeah, you, you certainly have a place in the recreational marketing in Canada. We sell a lot of Tantalus product. I really like what you're producing there, Dan, too. So, so that's excellent. I'll p pass that feedback along to the team, and I greatly appreciate your advocacy of our product. Yeah, absolutely. I really like what Tantalus is doing. Um, one of the reasons we wanted to get together, Dan, was you have some passion about something that's going on in the industry, and I, and I share that same passion. So Tantalus Labs is, is your corporate entity. That, that's what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. But you've started something else, haven't you? Standforcraft.com. Give us the background of why that became important to, for you to start. Standforcraft.com was founded about two and a half years ago, born of conversations that I was having with largely local at that time, small to medium enterprises in cannabis cultivation. I was talking to a lot of small businesses who'd really mortgaged their lives on the opportunity to join the legal industry and be a part of this great Canadian legalization experiment. And they were struggling at that time. Now, I think everyone understood that nascent industry is going to have headwinds. There are going to be challenges. We're going first. And in so many ways, we're kind of crashing through the brambles and setting an example that other Canadian entities will follow and perhaps the world will follow in good due time. But as I started to work with these smaller groups, kind of giving them advice, helping them along, sharing some of the insight that we'd shared along the way, my exceptionally talented counterpart CFO, who's the finance brain behind Tantalus Labs, started to do some long-term modeling. And we realized that because both high taxation rates and high regulation rates associated with the Cannabis Act and this exceptionally entrenched legacy market that we have in cannabis in Canada, price compression wasn't actually affecting the government's slice of the pie. In Canada, we have a tax structure that taxes cannabis at a minimum of $1 per gram today. And that margin share just kept getting larger and larger and larger. And over time, we found it really difficult to model financial scenarios where any small business could actually break even and create break even income. And so we were perturbed by this. And that small group of individuals became now 45 cannabis businesses from all the way from five person mom and pops teams all the way up to like sort of 50, 60, 70 person small to medium enterprises in Canada. 
And I realized that we really needed a voice of small business speaking to government, speaking publicly to media. And because I'd uh, had the benefit of a longstanding relationship with Health Canada and quite a lot of government relations work involved in that, um, I was called on to stand, use our voice as a collective voice to vocalize the needs of small business as this market matures and evolves. Nice. Give us a sense for those who aren't aware. Now, you mentioned the $1 a gram, but but in, in some of the information that I was looking at on Stanford Craft, we're seeing companies being taxed up to the 30% level. Is that correct? It's actually that the baseline is the 30% level. Most companies are paying between 25 and 40% of their top line revenue every month just to excise tax. This is even worse for cannabis processors who are in the concentrates business where those tax levels are often 55% plus of their top line revenue. Now, this is really wild because there's no other consumer facing industry in Canada that's taxed anywhere close to this level and certainly no industry that has a large, deeply entrenched, long history of illicit market supply that we are actively trying to capture. In many cases, we're actively trying to convert that market share, encourage those producers to come over to the legal side of the industry and get regulated and become legal. But ultimately, while illicit market prices can withstand price compression and still maintain a far lower cost of production, this tax is exceptionally and disproportionately damaging to small businesses that don't have huge treasuries and massive resources to weather the storm as we figure this whole thing out. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the frustrating thing, as we look at this, Dan, and I'm sure you have been equally frustrated, how do you get people to listen? I, I mean, you, you have been, been speaking about this for a number of years now, and, and yet people in government don't seem to realize how critical this is for the success of the industry. So what do we do to change that? Well, it has been an uphill battle, and there certainly have been dark days for producers of all sizes. I have good news, and that is that people are listening, and people have begun to take this into the direction of material change. What it takes for us is to speak with a unified voice, to get into the right rooms, and to deliver a message, I believe, that is concise, direct, and very clear about some of the changes we need to start with on the road to looking at the cannabis industry as not a big, scary boogeyman. Yeah, the cannabis yeah. industry was built in Canada so that we could deliver public health and safety outcomes. I think that's where a lot of producers go wrong, is that they think that the Canadian government has a vested interest in the success of their business. This isn't always true. But in delivering those public health and safety outcomes, which include substantial reduction in youth usage, that's because we have age-gated stores, great thing to see. You know, adult cannabis is for adults, and we stand behind that message. Um, the absence of mold, mildew, and pesticides that we spoke about is a Canadian universal. There's obviously legal cannabis of varying quality. There's also illicit cannabis of varying quality. But you can be sure that when you buy from a legal source, a third party has validated absence of contaminants that may be dangerous if you smoke them or inhaled them. And I think where we are now is we are in the right rooms, in finance, in innovation, science, and economic development, in Health Canada, and in the halls of government to say, these public health and safety outcomes are fantastic, but not if we only deliver them to half of the market. Right now, the legal market's captured about 50% market share. And in order for us to get anywhere close to 70% or 80% or more fulsome market capture, we need industry and government to work together to architect policy that allows for survivable business fundamentals. We're not talking about rocket ship profits. We're talking about the ability to add cash to your balance sheet every month, grow your business naturally. And to this point, unfortunately, those kinds of policies have eluded us. So we need to make a change. And that change will ultimately drive the public health and safety outcomes that the government seeks. And so I think that's where we've now found alignment, is that if you believe that legalized cannabis is better than illicit cannabis, then you must advocate for the participants in the industry, especially small business, who have now captured the substantial majority of the market share of legal cannabis purchases in Canada. 
people want to buy cannabis from craft producers. They want to buy cannabis from small businesses. And so let's get together all the right decision makers in a room. It's not going to happen overnight, but together we can solve this. And I believe we're closer than we've ever been. Well, that's really good to hear, Dan. So so you intimated that, that you have the right audience, you found the right room, the right people to talk to. So what's the message? What do you think are some things that can be done on an immediate basis or an interim basis to, to make some, some change? I believe that there are two really critical short-term immediate interventions that need to happen in order to preserve the success of the commercial success stories in craft cannabis. Not every company is going to make it. This is a tough reality. There are lots of companies out there that have been built on weak business plans or people that were looking to be opportunistic. I think a lot more of those are are sort of larger, probably traded entities that maybe had more stock promotion behind them. But the core of this industry really is good, solid, hardworking Canadians, farmers, people that want to to cultivate cannabis dreamed of being able to do it in, in a legal way. And those people are the ones that we want to focus this policy change around. So the first intervention that we are getting political traction with is that this $1 per gram minimum needs to be revisited. Unfortunately, that minimum was built on an assumption of a $10 per gram wholesale price at the outset of legalization. If anyone's ever bought cannabis on the illicit market or legal, you know that this price is unfortunately a miscalculation. $10 per gram wholesale never existed. It has never existed in the illicit market. It has never existed in the legal market. And ultimately, I think it was pulled from some parliamentary budget office documents that circulated associating that number with the (laughs) street value of police busts. This is my speculation. I can't be sure. But... We can show with backwards looking math and substantial clarity that the wholesale price of cannabis in a materially undersupplied market at the beginning of legalization was about $8.25 a gram. Now it's compressed to almost $4.25 a gram, perhaps even lower. And that $1 per gram has just become a bigger and bigger and bigger piece of the margin pie. So our view is that that needs to change to a floating percentage to reflect that when cannabis prices compress, the government needs to compress with us. Revenues need to compress with us. We all need to tighten our belts. If we get to a place where we have more substantial capture and those average prices bounce back a little bit, then everyone makes more. Everyone makes more together. So our goal, our aspiration is to have that consequential change tabled for budget 2023. Ironically, in the Cannabis Act, it would only be one word that would need to change. The tax section of the Cannabis Act refers to the greater of $1 per gram or 10% of the price. And if we just change that word to the lesser, (laughs) it would function just fine. Um, (laughs) So that's our number one ask. Our second critical piece of intermediary intervention is that right now, Almost two-thirds of the reporting issuers that report to CRA every month in the cannabis industry are behind on their excise tax payments. This is really scary stuff. That means that two-thirds of cannabis companies are making the choice right now to either pay their excise tax or pay their employees. That's a very difficult choice. As a business leader, I will go yard. Anyone who's listening that's ever worked at a business before, you know, the preservation of that community, of that team, of that family in so many cases is your number one priority. So you go to sleep thinking about it, it's what you wake up thinking about. And so these tax arrears are a function of a lack of cash flow resourcing to be able to pay both debt to CRA as well as, as cannabis. And so we want to see a piece of intervention debt forgiveness that is tailored to the small business. There's concern at a political level that if we give tax relief to the largest companies, that those companies will send that tax relief right down into the price compression and make cannabis cheaper. It's probably a a warranted fear and there's no costless policy. We're going to have to tolerate some form of, of that as we go forward. But say we forgave the average, every cannabis company that owed taxes 
backwards looking, forwards looking. We gave them a, a tax holiday of two and a half million, five million dollars. For the small business, that's the difference between life and death. That could be years of CRA payments for some. For large, massive pubcos, it's a drop in the bucket. It doesn't make much of a difference. And so I think there's a way to look earnestly and say, we made a mistake in the calculation of how we tax cannabis businesses. We wish to acknowledge that mistake and to make amends for it. We want to do that for companies that are currently have outstanding debts on their balance sheet. And we want to do it for companies that are just coming into the game. And they're going to, they're going to be building their business as we figure out the right tax policy going forward, which could take months, quarters, years. And so let's let those successful cannabis companies stay on the playing field while we figure out the nuanced intricacies of cannabis tax policy to really get it right. And so those are the two things that really are our primary focus right now. Well, th- those would be two excellent things because, as you say, if the if the excise tax is adjusted so it works off a of percentage, we've almost got some immediate relief to everybody right there, right? Absolutely, and that would be a critical forward-looking piece. I think where it becomes problematic is as long as those CRA debts are outstanding, it's very challenging for cannabis businesses that are already sort of looked <laughs> looked down upon somewhat by the finance industry to get things like first mortgages or lines of credit, or in some cases, even visa cards to handle business operations, let alone things like construction financing and, and you know the sort of normal course of business financial instruments that we use in small business across the country today. And so we need to dive a little bit deeper on the actual mechanics of how cannabis is perceived and how it delivers fundamentals to its bottom line and give every financial institution a self-interested reason to back us up as we take on Canada's demand and, and ultimately international demand over time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know when I've uh, spoken to some growers, some of the problems that they face in, in being able to keep some cash flow going is that ridiculous delay in how long it takes for them to get paid for giving their product to the OCS, for example, the Ontario Cannabis Store. Are, are those issues that, that Stand for Craft is, is looking at as well? Absolutely. And actually, we're proud to have worked with the Canadian or the Cannabis Council of Canada and the Canadian Chamber of Commerce to deliver some relief on that front. Uh, That was actually just codified last week and it was announced a couple of months ago that CRA will now be accepting payments quarterly instead of just monthly. And so that that you can use a little bit more of um, your pent-up cash flow timelines, what this really originated from is that sometimes excise taxes are due in 30 days and payment cycles from the OCS and and large um, distributors take 60 days. So we'd actually have to front the cash to be able to then wait to get paid. And ultimately, we also believe the provinces have a role in helping facilitate the cannabis industry going forward. Some of these markups have been demonstrated to be quite exorbitant from various different provinces. And they really, it's, it's government money coming from a massive pool of resources. I think they can probably afford to harmonize their payment schedules around CRA's due dates. Uh, and that wouldn't take too much skin off their nose. So provinces, if you're listening, come to the table, help us out. <laughs> please, please come to the table. We all want to try to fix this. <laughs> the provinces certainly do. Because in every province across this country, there are tens and hundreds of small to medium enterprises, largely in rural communities, that are novel employment centers. A lot of these rural economies have been decimated by changes in Canada's treatment of primary resource harvesting or secondary processing, things like mill towns, things like mining towns. They've gone through economic transition, and cannabis can be a material lifeline. It doesn't just help the people that work at these facilities. It helps local contractors. It helps local electricians. It helps local lawyers, accountants, designers. Local restaurants benefit from economic activity. And the ripple effects of a successful cannabis production facility in your town can change the entire dynamic of how Canada lives. Truly, we are a nation of shopkeepers. I think the stat is that 98% of Canadians are employed by small businesses. 
this is the lifeblood of our economy. And we want to see diversified, rural, metropolitan, any and everywhere that can facilitate cannabis production get facilitated with functional policy. Nice. Nice. So um, is there any way that those of us who are recreational cannabis users, or perhaps the question I want to ask is, what can recreational cannabis users like myself and people who are listening to the podcast do to help expediate this, to, to help make some more noise and get people listening and, and taking some of your ideas and, and making them fruition? Well, thank you so much for asking. There's one thing you can do that's really easy, and that's go to standfordraft.com. You'll see a form letter there that you can sign up with for your email. You'll get notified when we you know, break media stories or have, you know, some call to action that's necessary to get in the, in the ears and the screens and the inboxes of the decision makers that really matter. It takes about 15 seconds to sign up. Highly recommend that everybody go to standforcraft.com today. And if you really find your heartstrings pulled to this issue, we all have local representation. We all have a member of parliament who represents us as constituents and we are entitled to reach out to them and to make our voice heard. You can Google your town, your zip code, or your postal code. You know, you can Google wherever you are. Find your local MP. Their email addresses are universally publicly available. And just let them know, hey, I have friends that are employed in the cannabis industry. I'm employed in the cannabis industry. I have family that's employed in the cannabis industry. There are voters that are employed in the cannabis industry. We all want to see this legalization experiment succeed. We've gotten a few things right, and we've gotten a few things that we need to change and we need to evolve. And it's surprising how much of a difference that makes. If this podcast burns 15 emails, that's 15 times that an MP is talking, whether they're talking around the water cooler or they're talking in a formal setting. And the cannabis industry has the potential to be a top five employer across Canada. It's a massive GDP contributor. It could rival the size of the craft wine market. We really do need at this critical time to make our voices heard and stand up for what you stand on. This is Canada. We want to give the world a model to look at Canadian legalization and say, wow, these guys really did it right. Nice. That, that, that's excellent advice. So stanforcraft.com, go there, fill out the form, make sure everybody has your opinion on that. Excellent, Dan. Well, you have uh, filled in a lot of the details of, of uh, what I wanted to talk about today. So if you don't mind, let me finish with my hot seat questions. Absolutely, Gary. Let's do this. Do you have a favorite cultivar? Ooh, I generally try to not play favorites with my beautiful children in the greenhouse, <laughs> but um, I've been really enjoying the Tangle Slabs Sunset Sherbert variant because it's got nice. this sort of melony citrus flavor profile with quite a creamy flavor. And nice. the experience for me is sort of settling and calming instead of okay. more of like an upregulated weed. So in my in my excise tax battles, I need calming cannabis. Uh, so big plug to Tangle Slabs and their Sunset Sherbert. Of course you do. Do you prefer joints or vape? I'm a joints guy. Uh, I love rolling joints. I love the ritual. I love rolling a few yeah. while I'm chatting, having something to do with my hands, you know. And then uh, Tannel Slabs also performs really well in the pre-roll business. And so when I am yeah. in need of a convenient good smoke, I, I just love passing one around with the buddies. Nice. Yeah, I'm the same with you. I love I love the ritual of rolling a joint. There's just something magical and, and fascinating about that, no matter how many of them you've rolled over your time. And what's your favorite munchie, Dan? Ooh, favorite munchie has got to be a grilled cheese sandwich. I have Ooh. a love, lovely wife, and her and I battle each other over who can make <laughs> the perfect grilled cheese with the nice, you know, toasted crust on the bread. Of course. Different kinds of cheese in there. Sometimes we'll eat them too late at night. Uh, but I'm a <laughs> big fan of the grilled cheese sandwich. Oh, that sounds delicious. Excellent. And uh, edibles or flour? I am probably a 98% flower user. It's just how I was raised. I love an edible on a night out on the town or before going out for dinner or something like this. Yeah. An edible is a very social occasion for me, um, but I usually only eat them if someone else has brought them around. Okay, sounds good. And do you have a uh, term for a, uh, a joint that's running? Any, any particular term for it? 
a joint that's running, that's got to be a canoe, right? That's a Canadian. Yeah, that's, 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 that's the most popular heard. one has been a canoe. <laughs> <laughs> what are the other ones? Excellent. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, Runaway was another one. Runaway. Yeah. All right, well, we'll stick with the Canadianism of a canoe. If you have a joint that's running in a canoe, then you've got a real problem because <laughs> how are you going to fix that when you're, you're afraid you might tip over in the lake? It's true because then you're going to be in real trouble. <laughs> it's been a great conversation, Dan. Thank you for sharing all the information about Tantalus Labs, about StanfordCraft.com, and I really hope we start to see some change in the industry soon because I think we're all needing it, right? I really appreciate you shining your light on this issue. We are on the right track. We will get this done. We need everyone's voice to stand together. Now is the time. We have a window and we're going to jump through it if, it if it's the last thing we do. So I'm excited. I'm super privileged and blessed to speak on behalf of small business and know that I'm speaking on behalf of my team and all the teams that have been leaning into this industry through crazy times in COVID, through wild, hectic market activity. The future of cannabis in Canada is bright, and we serve that bright future with every day we put in. Excellent. Well, thanks very much for your time today, Dan. You enjoy the rest of your night. You as well, sir. THC, CBD, terpene profiles, what's in me? Oh, please explain to me. Cultivar Corner, Cultivar Corner, oh yeah. Cultivar Corner, please explain this stuff to me. On Cultivar Corner today, we're going back to a brand that we have talked about before. And that's Simply Bear. Simply Bear Organic, they grow down in Delta, B.C., and they produce some pretty good products over the course of our legalized cannabis. And this time we're doing something just a little bit different. This is a unique drop for Simply Bear, what they are calling their selects. And let me give you a bit of a background. So Simply Bear Organic Selects, a collection of rare cultivars they're testing in the greenhouses. Every few weeks, their growers assess what's performed the best on potency, bud size, trichome content, and taste. Then they select one standout cultivar to join the select rank. And this will probably be one you'll want to add to your collection. <laughs> and where are they coming up with the names for these? I have no idea. This is BC Organic Duct Tape. Yes, you heard me right. <laughs> BC Organic Duct Tape. I have no idea where the, where the name comes from, but I can tell you it is a cross of Dozy Dough and Original Glue. And the aromas that are going to be uh, predominant in here, some gas some pine, and some chocolate. Well, I have my 14 grams. Now, this was a purchase from uh, my Mendo. And I got 14 grams of the BC Organic Duct Tape from the folks at Simply Bear. It came in a standard bag, their standard 14-bag format. Oh, and the aroma. So 2.73% is the total terpenes on this. I took it out of the bag. It's been sitting in my sea vault. And when I open the... Oh, when I take the top off of that, my die. Definitely some gas. Now, almost every time that I see chocolate referenced in, in an aroma profile for cannabis, maybe my maybe I am absent any chocolate receptors. <laughs> but I don't pick up a lot of chocolate notes. But I'm definitely getting that pine and, and a whole lot of gas. And when I was preparing the joint to get ready for today's cultivar corner and squeezing some of the buds, let me just do it again. Oh, when you squeeze the bud as you're getting to prepare it, oh, the gas just comes bursting out. Mm, very, very aromatic. Very pleasant smell as well. Mm, and that's that's one thing that I think we've all discovered, right? And the, the downside of being able to buy cannabis the way we do in Canada right now is you cannot smell your cannabis for the most part before you buy it. And so the occasional time you're going to buy some weed that you probably shouldn't have because it just doesn't meet your criteria or your body's criteria. Mm, but this one, when we can get a smell of it, nice. So in the 14 gram format, there were some really large buds because they can, of course, put them in a pretty big bag. So let's pull out the jeweler's loop. Let's take a look at what we got here for my 14 grams of BC organic duct tape from Simply Bear. 
And I'll give you the description of it after I take a peek at it. Uh, lots of trichomes on it. Oh, some big bulbous trichomes. Mmm. And again, as I get that bud up close to my nose, I can just start to smell some of those gassy and piney notes again. Let's give you the terpene profile of what is in here. So really nice looking buds, nice size, nice structure. I like their curing and, and I like the trim. I'm finding there's a lot of weed out there now that, and I don't know how they're getting it. You, you've heard me say the phrase before, how do they get their nugs so nuggy? And I don't understand. And, and there is a fine line between delicately cured and crafted so I can still you know, press that cannabis flower and get oh get some more of that aroma that's coming out of it but there's the occasional ones that are so nuggy it's almost like you got to get out a hammer and break them up and i don't know how they get them that tight but these are oh boy that's a beautiful smell these are smack dab in the middle in terms of the tightness so really nicely uh, crafted really nicely trimmed not seeing a lot of sugar leaves on that but substantial buds and i'm hoping a pretty good smoke <laughs> So terpenes, what do we have for our total terpenes? As we said, 2.73. Appearance is going to be a br brilliant green with some orange pistols. Is that holding true? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a lot of orange pistols in that, especially when you pull out the jeweler's loop and you take a closer look at them. And the terpenes, the 2.73 total terpenes made up of transcaryophylline to 0.61%. Limonene at 0.6%, beta myrcene at 0.42%, and farnesine at 0.39%. And I'm starting to become a fan of farnesine. It seems that when I add those, yeah, this is my magical trio seem to be caryophylline, limonene, and some pinene. Uh, no pinene. Interesting that one of the scents is pine in this, but no pinene actually listed as a uh, terpene. But farnesine, I'm finding that's one of most of those candies, and and maybe it's because I can't pick up a lot of that that I'm not getting the chocolate notes. Oh boy, that is just a delightful flower. I've already got my joint rolled, a nice joint ready to go for cultivar corner, and I think it's time we gave a taste to BC Organic duct tape from the folks at Simply Bear Organics. Oh, pleasant notes on the inhale. What am I getting on the inhale? Some of those gas notes. A little bit of pine. I could pretend I'm getting some chocolate. Okay, they're, they're just a hint of that chocolate note on the exhale. Oh, but very smooth. And the ash that's flowing off of that, nice and gray, holding nice and firm. Oh, wow. And I'm starting to feel some happy eyes coming on, too. Hmm. So here's the scoop on duct tape. Straight from our greenhouse in Delta, we bring you BC Organic Duct Tape. This FVOPA Organic Certified Cultivar is a cross of the legendary Original Glue and Dosi Do cultivars. The orange pistols and shades of bright green are hard to see in a bud so drenched in trichomes, but the aromas of gas, pine, and chocolate are too loud to ignore. Grown in their organic soil, hang-dried for 14 days, cold-cured, and non-irradiated. And as we talked about before, the dominant terpenes, transcaryophylline, limonene, Farnesine and beta myrcene. And now the Crafty Plus is ready. Let's have a taste of BC organic duct tape. Hmm. Oh boy, the gas just comes flying through there. Hmm. And and some of the pine notes too, but I hate to say I'm still not picking up a lot of chocolate. Okay, on the exhale, again, just a hint of that. Oh, wow. Um, and having an imp impact, <laughs> which is obviously the, the main purpose. I know we're not chasing the high, but 
in an evaluation of cannabis, how high it gets us based on the THC is obviously a pretty uh, important factor. 27.3% is the THC on this. You know, one of the things that I love about cannabis is that euphoria, that, that just that burst of, boy, I feel so good about things right now. <laughs> and, and that is flying through my head right now. Mm. About equal amounts of the vaporizer in the joint. Definitely some happy eyes. That euphoric feeling. Kind of, kind of just feel good in the body too. Mm. No harshness whatsoever in, in anything that I have tried so far of this. The crafty's still going, still providing some vapor for me. This is getting deeper. It's getting stronger. The euphoria is just, I'm just loving that. <laughs> it's just perfect amounts of euphoria for what I'm after today. I'm liking the high. Mm. Another good one. Certainly worthy of a look. The buds, nice and big, nicely trimmed, wonderfully cured. Delightful aroma with a 2.73%. <laughs> and hey, you got some BC duct tape. I figure I can pretty well fix anything today. I don't know where the name comes from, but I do know I'm pretty happy with the high. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. This is the Cannabis Podcast. And this is a story we're going to finish with from 420intel.com. Smoking weed versus edibles. Which is better for your brain? Reducing the smoke you inhale as well as controlling your dosage are both ways to ensure your body and brain enjoys the benefits of weed without the potential downsides. Everyone who enjoys marijuana has their preferred method of consumption. In these advanced and semi-legal times, that can be anything from vaporizing to eating to drinking or even good old-fashioned smoking. Each way of consumption has a high that kicks in a little differently and comes with its unique set of benefits and downsides. While many of the pros and cons associated with how you consume your weed are minor and superficial, others are a bit more serious. In fact, the way you consume your marijuana can even affect how healthy or unhealthy the substance is for your body, even your brain. After all, all the organs that interact with THC eventually lead to the brain in one way or another. When it comes to eating or smoking your weed, which is better for your brain health? People prefer smoking weed instead of eating it for many reasons, but one of the main ones is the speed in which weed hits you when you smoke versus when you eat it. As we previously reported, smoking weed kicks in much faster than edibles. This not only allows you to get high quicker, which is often the goal, but it also prevents you from consuming too much THC at once. It's much easier to control your dosage and prevent overdoing it, which is great since overdoing it can have negative effects on the brain, including memory issues and paranoia. Smoking weed, however, can do some real damage to your lungs. As we previously reported, cannabis can cause all sorts of lung issues over time. While these lung issues might seem bad enough to steer you towards a different consumption method, there is also evidence that suggests poor lung health can even affect your brain. According to the book, An Overview and Management of Multiple Chronic Conditions, lung disease and impaired lung function was associated with greater risk of dementia and mild cognitive impairment through both Alzheimer's disease and cerebrovascular iatologies. While it might be easier to dose and get high quickly, the potential compounding health issues with consistently smoking your weed might be why many consumers prefer to eat their THC. Perhaps the biggest and most obvious brain and health benefit of eating your weed is that there is no inhaled smoke involved. By ingesting your THC, you remove many of the potentially negative health effects that can damage your lungs, and in turn, even your brain. While this is great news for your lungs, consuming edibles comes with its own set of health risk factors that can mess with your brain. According to the CDC, edibles, or food and drink products infused with marijuana, have some different risks than smoked marijuana, including a greater risk of poisoning. The reason for this, according to the CDC, is that because it can take up to two hours to kick in, novice users may consume more and more 
resulting in a dangerous overconsumption. While cannabis overdoses, also known as acute cannabinoid overdose, are not a common symptom when consuming cannabis and not directly life-threatening, they can have negative brain effects. Per Healthline The combination of the highly variable THC concentration and the long latency period of edible cannabis products makes them very easy to unintentionally overconsume, which can lead to unwanted symptoms such as paranoia and impaired motor ability. Paranoia and other mental problems are never good for your mental state or brain health, not to mention they completely ruin any chance of enjoying your experience. In the end, careful consumption, regardless of how you consume your marijuana, is best for your brain and body as a whole. Reducing the smoke you inhale, as well as controlling your dosage, are both ways to ensure your body and brain enjoys the benefits of weed without the potential downsides. That from 420intel.com on which is better for your brain, ingesting or smoking. And once again, let me thank you for being a listener of the Cannabis Podcast. If you ever have a comment on anything you hear, please send a note to info at CannabisPodcast.com. And for more ways you can support the podcast, go to buymeacoffee.com slash Cannabis Podcast. If you like what you hear and you feel so inclined, you can buy me a doobie. And coming up on next episode, we're going to look back at four years of doing this podcast. Plus, I have an interview with Alfred Schaefer. Alfred is the president of the Retail Cannabis Council of BC. I met him at the conference here in Kelowna back in 420 days. And he's also one of the founders of the Retail Cannabis Council of Canada. We're going to talk about what they've been doing to help build our industry. That and more coming up next time. That's it now for episode 110 of the Cannabis Podcast. From the Cannabis Infused Studio, high above the Okanagan Valley, this was the Cannabis Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 99.9% of our DNA is identical. It's a 0.1% that truly makes us different and unique. And that's what the show is about. Find out that 0.1% about your favorite guests. Find out what music they like their first cannabis experience, and even what their room looked like growing up. But more importantly, or as important, their journey. Learn what makes them unique on Everything is Personal.